right, so today I have a friend from yoga, my yoga instructor for hot yoga here. His name is Joe Timberlake, and I've known him about, I think, two years. Um, and he's been on our mutual friends podcast, the Yoga Plus Enneagram podcast. And I just found out that he's an eight, which is a challenger, and I'm very intrigued by that. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so I'll tell you a little bit more about Joe here in a second. But first of all, let me just say welcome and thank you for being here. Oh, thank you, Beth. Pleasure being here. Well, Speaking I, of yoga, you just caught me right after yoga, and I'm naturally kind of on an upward chatty <laughs> mindset. In so. a flow state? <laughs> yes, right. Perfect time. What kind of class did you go to? Um, I had I go Monday mornings and Friday mornings. It's a real fast-paced vinyasa. Uh-huh. And uh, I teach four days a week, so that pretty much rounds out my, my yoga week right yeah. there. Yeah, that's incredible. Well, I'm just, Joe and I have chatted before and after his hot yoga class, which is the Bikram. Bikram, mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Um, and, and that maybe we'll get off on a tangent about yoga later, but I it's really grown on me. Um, the hot yoga wasn't my favorite initially. I probably tried it first about four or five years ago. And I like the the variety of like more like the class you just took, um, the unpredictability and the, you know, the changes and that kind of thing. But the hot yoga has really grown on me this last year. Um, I had to kind of force myself to do it. I knew it was very good for me, but, um, but it, so I've been taking from Joe more consistently this last six months and, chatted with him here and there and um and at 6 a.m 6 a.m yes i love doing it at 6 a.m there's all those we got our own little group of uh oh dark 30 that's people right people that are just uh, want to start their day early yeah exactly. what, what better way i know i love it so it's really a treat for me to get to talk to joe longer than two minutes before or after yoga class so <laughs> and he's very tolerant with me coming in at like 5 <laughs> 59 <laughs> You're clearly much more scheduled. I thought you were going to be a perfectionist, but now that I hear, so Joe has been very, very productive person, and um, he he looks about sixty, but he's more like seventy. I'll let you. Um, it looks like a an Iron Man seventy year old, I guess. <laughs> well, that's very nice of you. Well, yeah, you've been into fitness your whole life, pretty much, haven't you? Yes, it's part of. Uh part of kind of accommodating or, or sort of a, a way of dealing with having this this busy mind mm -hmm. and um, I'm, I'm part of a of a fellowship called adult children of alcoholics mm. when you grow up in a dysfunctional household and my household is great but there's dysfunction in most households oh, right? totally and some things stick with you and you don't you have this critical parent inside of you mm -hmm. <laughs> this critical voice yeah and so i had that early on and i think my uh affinity for sports and performance that was my way of feeling like i was whole feeling whole yeah is is uh this is one thing i've kind of controlled my destiny in sports and being able to and, but you can never really do that. You can never really be perfect. There's always going to be somebody better than you. So there's always disappointment lurking. But I felt like it kept me busy and kept me challenged. Mm. And uh, it's been with me my whole life. I was a competitive runner uh, most of my adult life. Ran uh, long distance marathons, half marathons. Wow. And ran like 38 marathons till I burned out my right hip. Yeah. You and, had a hip replacement, Yeah, right? I did. And so... Um, 
and 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 I I actually got in line in Vanderbilt. Uh huh. For um, they had they were perfecting a, a ceramic ball joint. Uh huh. That was they were going to use them for the athletes the and the uh, kids that needed a long term fix. They uh-huh. want these people don't want to be having hip replacements every six or eight years. Yeah. And so they hadn't they wasn't quite ready yet. So I waited two years for that and uh, got busy with my second career uh, while I was waiting for my hip replacement. But that was a cha- that was a challenge for me because mm. I, I rely, relied on running yeah. to, to feel whole too. And uh, so, but it was good when I hit that bottom and I couldn't run anymore because I, I got to expand myself, you know, I, in some spiritual ways and I broadened my career. So blessing in disguise. It was. It was very disappointing not to be able to run. It was very disappointing. I bet. But, I mean, it, it's fine. Now, I've, I've gotten more into yoga. Cycling is not so, so hard on my, my this hip. Yeah. Um, you think yoga would be, but it really does strengthen the area around it. And so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm better than I've ever been. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think you're known to be one of the hardest hot yoga teachers because we had a sub for you one day and she held the poses about half the length that you do. And we were like, oh, man, like hot yoga is a lot easier when you don't hold the poses so long. But that which doesn't kill you makes you stronger, right? (laughs) I didn't know that. I didn't realize that was that that torture. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's good. We like it. Um, But that's interesting what you said about being a part of the adult child of the alcoholic group mm-hmm. and then that sense of control which i know a lot of adult children of alcoholics and you could teach me a lot but i remember hearing you know they're very responsible they're yes. very hyper vigilant and they need more control because their childhood felt more out of control yes yeah and there's two lies i tell myself one is i can fix myself uh-huh yeah and the second one is I can fix you too. Yeah, can fix other people. Yeah. So it's good to uh, be be past that, or to be able to see it for what it is. Yeah. It's just a natural delusion mm-hmm. that I think you know some people can fall into. But when I'm doing well, when I'm centered spiritually, mm-hmm. and I'm in my right flow state, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm I don't bother myself with those two lies in other people yeah yeah you don't torture yourself by believing you can control and yourself or other people yeah we're more i think i'm my stride to be more of an an accepting place where i'm an acceptance of what's going on in this moment right now yeah and uh, we i think that's a great place to strive for it's hard hard to, to be there all the time oh for sure um well I'll share a little bit more about you in an introductory way, and then I'd love to just launch into your own addiction and your history, you know, growing up with a family that struggled with addiction. Um, Sure. Joe is a very productive person besides teaching yoga four times a week and attending a lot of yoga. Um, He was in the hospitality business, owning some restaurants, bringing outbacks to Chattanooga. As a corporate position. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then now you do chronic pain management and a lot of motivational inju- uh, interviewing. Um, and you've written a book called The Attorney, which is a crime drama. Yes, but it's about my relationship with my father. It was, it was, uh, it was really meant to be something more like a cathartic 
kind of worked so I could, because we were, I was moving back in, into my father's life, but I moved back to Tennessee in our early 2000s and mm-hmm. we weren't close. And mm. so, um, and so I just, I just kept inflicting myself upon him. <laughs> and he he said, All right, if you must be here, then tell me. And so I would I was living in Nashville at the time, I was waiting on this hip replacement. Uh-huh. And so I'd drive over to Chattanooga once or twice a week where he where he was living on the mountain and he's an attorney. Uh-huh. And he 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 was a, a well known litigator here and every most people in the legal circles knew him and appreciated his his dedication to the law. He loved the law. Mm. And in the, the, what got me going on the book is that I grew up with the attorney. I mean, not a dad necessarily, mm. but he was the attorney. His practice, his, his um, clients, and his fervent dedication to the law were, were really what came first. That was his identity. Yeah, it was his identity. Just like mine was the restaurant business when I was, I had the same thing. And so uh, I didn't really resent him too much for that because I've been in recovery for a while that's I already um, focused on those demons you know, feeling less than wanting to always measure up and all that and I was doing a lot better with that so but I would go back and forth to see him and uh, he when I was growing up he would he would work me like a field hand we live on the side of signal work you like a what field hand never oh field hand I do yeah, I mean I was working all the time yeah. I hated it it cured me from ever wanting to, to do, do physical any, labor, yes, or anything around the house. I'd always, again, never again. So I'd come see him, and finally, you know, he was accepting the fact I wasn't going to go away because I wanted to. We, I wanted this relationship, I, and because um, mm. I really did love him, I didn't particularly like him too much. Yeah, but um, this was part of my recovery. This was one of those things in my bucket list was to rekindle this relationship and get back. And I, I and I was. It was really hard, not managing expectations because I, I didn't know how this was going to go. Mm-hmm. But so I'd show up at his house and um, and I would call him because if I didn't call him, he would not answer the door. <laughs> so I had to make sure. And eventually, he started inviting me up, but he always had work for me to do. Huh. And I wasn't a young guy. This wasn't that long ago, and he had me cleaning off the brow. Trimming the hedges around the house, and he, he he'd shake his head, said, "You hadn't gotten any better at this." Oh my goodness! So, like, if you're going to come around, you got to pay your dues, exactly, earn your keep, even exactly. though you weren't even living there anymore. Exactly, boy, it was hard, hard work. It wow, he's hot. a taskmaster. Yes, and so we we uh, it took a while to to um to get get past that part of it, and he he want to go out to eat this little place he liked over at East Ridge, and then. And so I'd go do that with him, and I'd stay a day and a half, go back home, and and after four or five years of this, he starts finally um, he he starts softening up a little bit. Yeah. I mean, he he stand out on his patio and he he critique you know when I'm working down there, and then we'd spend some time talking, and then we talk about his law practice. And then we'd go deep into his law practice. And so I felt like I was might as well have been a paralegal. Wow, yeah, you learned so much about. And in, in, the, in the latter last couple of years of his life, he, he had a stroke and he was not, he really leaned on me a lot to keep those cases going. He had workers' comp clients and he was very, loved these clients. And these people were not getting benefits from huh. their corporate, you know, from their uh, people they work for. And, 
And so I, I, uh, I got to be an attorney for a while, not, a, not yeah. actually practicing attorney, but I got to. You deserved an honorary degree in law. And I'm working full time, you know, I'm back and forth doing this. And, and one day I'm getting ready to leave. I'm, I'm getting ready to head back. And I was a particularly trying visit with him. Hmm. And, um, and you couldn't please him. You, wow. you just could not please him. And, and so I'm getting ready to leave today. I got to get back. I'm tired. I've got work to do. And he said, before you go, I got to tell you something. And so um, I said, what is it? And he said, I never saw you coming. He said, you are the one of the big joys of my life. Aww. And I this is the first of anything like that in, in a in a real loving, connecting way that I ever remember him saying. And I and I was dumbfounded. You know, he said, you're, I said, I, I really am amazed by you and um, who you are right here sitting in front of me. Mm. And, um, and you know, what was, what was ironic about that moment was that that was something I'd always strive for, for a big part of my life. But at this particular time in my life, in my 12-step recovery and the work I'd done on myself, the inside of me, didn't need it. Here he is handing me something that I always wanted and I didn't need it. Oh, wow. And it was kind of bittersweet in one way, but not, but I really appreciated it. I appreciated where he was, what it took for him to say that. Oh and, uh, and it felt good to have that connection. And we were really close all the way up to the end after that. So it got better and better. But on, on the way out, I'm, I said, Daddy, I don't know what to say. And he said, well, don't let it go to your head. You're still a crappy yard boy. <laughs> <laughs> he had to lighten it up. That was probably the most vulnerable thing you've yes. ever heard him say. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, my goodness. That was, that was a, a notable time in my life. Oh, my goodness. That's a powerful, powerful story. I'm just like don't even know what to say. I have so, a lot of thoughts on it. Um, just, it, it strikes a lot of chords with me for a lot of reasons. So many people grow up never having the relationship yeah. they want with a parent mm-hmm. and grieving it their whole lives and just wanting to be seen, wanting yeah. to be understood. Mm-hmm. And I'm struck by how patient and tolerant you were and how much work you did on your own before you even really re-engaged with him to that level. Oh, you're so right. But you know, I wouldn't, I'm not sure I would have wanted to have put myself through it. Yeah. If I hadn't risen above so much. And this wasn't necessarily a service calling. This was just something inside of me long to connect yeah. my family. Oh yeah. And um it was it was, I, I just listened to that that inner voice. You know, you gotta go to Chattanooga and so I built a home here I built a wife here and I'm living in the house where I grew up and if one last thing on daddy I'll say it's okay I love it oh my goodness I think we could go on about this story for the whole time well the irony of it of getting what you've always wanted when you don't need it yeah I think that that's noteworthy but uh very I think the 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 probably the that was a big time that was a big moment but what was even bigger than that that he was at an election. He had a stroke, and he was, he was 93, and he was he was going downhill, and he was so hard on himself, and he was hard on others, and he was on every floor of election. He was on the brain health, uh, physical therapy. You know, the, they had one on, there was one on uh, where you're 
went forward with your fall risk or flight risk or whatever. He was oh, Alexian. Alexian Village. Oh, okay, okay. So yeah. he was in a, for the listeners assisted that don't building. know, like an assisted living. He lived on every different Thanks floor. for clarifying that, yes. Oh, no, no, I didn't know what. And so I'm on every floor. I get to know the staff, and I'm apologizing to him for him being so <laughs> such a bad guy to <laughs> deal with. And so I would... uh I would stay a lot because he, no one, we couldn't get anybody to stay with him overnight. Mm-hmm. You know, these, God bless them, these, these CNAs, they were, they, they were just like, had to put up with so much for him, with, through him, with him. And, uh, but, and he was, one thing about daddy is he was his own guy and he never, ever believed there was any God. Mm. And my sister Susanna and I, mm-hmm. you know, really, um, you know, we all we had many conversations about God. Is there ever going to be a moment mm-hmm. where He surrenders that? Yeah. And I'm not talking about agnostic. I'm talking about a hardcore atheist. He just hated the idea. Yeah. Of even if you were a man of God, if you're a priest, yeah, or a clergy, he just did not like you. Yeah. And so, um, and so, I didn't really push the point with him mm-hmm. too much. I always was standing vigil if that moment ever arose. And so it's, mm. so it's right there at the end and he's struggling. He's hating being there. He said, he said take me home. I don't want to be here. I hate this place. And we just, so we had to move everything to election village to be around him. Mm-hmm. I had to have his, you know, we set up his files there so I could follow up on some of his cases that were still out there and really just, just kind of move life in there with him. And, and he finally, he was such such turmoil. He was struggling so much. One night, it was about one thirty or 2 in the morning, and he was in terrible pain and, and emotional pain more than anything. Mm. And he'd always held on to life. He always had controlled everything. Wouldn't had an iron grip on everything around him. Mm. But he couldn't control this. He said, I don't know what to do. And I, and I said, Daddy, wouldn't it just feel good just to let go, just to surrender? And out of the blue, you know, and I'd always sit there right on the edge of his bed or I'd kind of kneel down right next to him because the chair in there just wasn't close enough for him to grab me when he needed me. Aww. And he, uh, he said, what? So I don't know what to say to him. He actually said those words, I do not know what to say Aww. to him. And I said, I said Daddy, you want to tell me what you want, what I you know, what, what you mean by that? And he said, he said, you know what I mean? I said, I don't, I'm scared. I don't, I can't do this. You said that? No, that's his dad saying that. I can't do this. I don't know what to do. And I said, well, maybe it would help you just, just talk to him. Mm. And that entire night long, he, we were talking to God. Oh, wow. And we were, and he prayed and he said, I don't, and he was, you know, and being around a lot of recovering alcoholics, you see them before they really surrender. You see them in this state where they're, they can't go forward, they can't go back, they're miserable. And they're trying to control something that can't be controlled. And they hit their bottom. And this was, this was what I was seeing in my, my father. And he was like, in, he just didn't know, and he was in such fear and such turmoil. But throughout that night, he was, I could feel him letting go more and more. Mm-hmm. And I, 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 and at one point it was late. We've been at this for hours, and he, and I, was, I said, "Daddy, I gotta go to the bathroom." He said, "No, you weren't going anywhere." And he had his his bony little hand wrapped around my oh. arm, and the next day he was gone. 
And so we had this moment, and I got to be there for that. And this is somebody I would never, ever have thought anywhere in his life that he would have ever had a moment of surrender to a higher power or to anything other than his own will. (laughs) It's a hard nut to crack. Really? (laughs) Yeah. Wow, it's like you have to come to the end of yourself literally in various ways sometimes to let go and surrender and open yourself up to that's right, faith yeah. or vulnerability or well that's the thing about addicts and alcoholics you know we're we're funny creatures mm-hmm. we don't just stop drinking you know when we're in when a, in a highly or in stage addicted state because it's just a good idea it's a good career decision it's good for our family good for our health we don't know none of that matters mm-hmm. we have to hit a bottom we have to have this internal combustion that we just can't go any farther we just can't physically emotionally spiritually you know we can't go another step yeah that's how it works i mean it, you see very few people in active recovery that have just walked in because their lives were going great mm-hmm. right <laughs> it's because it just quit working yeah well, I'm just struck by how powerful and inspiring both of those stories are. I mean, just, you know, and one of the big takeaways that I hope people, I'm just spontaneously obviously hearing this right now, but so many people never get a chance to have peace with a parent right. or to, um, they don't heal enough to where they're willing to go around and endure. It sounds like you had to endure five years of some, you know, some level of abuse with him right? before you got the words you always longed to hear, but you weren't necessarily planning on getting those words ever. Yeah, absolutely. So the fact that you got peace without that, and, and it sounds like that brought you a lot of joy. I don't know what words you would give it, but you didn't need it, but it, was wonderful to hear it but you had already kind of reached a level of forgiveness and acceptance and self growth or love or healing and that's the power of recovery Mm. that's the hope of recovery that we can't possibly see when we're still using and we're still depending on um, alcohol or whatever opioids or whatever our our drug choice is I mean, it's the only coping mechanism we have. Yeah. And it blots out relationships, our ability to feel love, to uh, even to usually works the last thing to go. I think that's what happened with me is when that was, that's the last thing, you know, you're talking about my father's identity was the law. Mine was the work I did in the restaurant industry. So that was my identity. And so I hung on to work at all costs because that that was the only hope I had of living, of existing, even with this fantasy of a life that I had. So are addicted. you saying that your relationships and your emotional well-being suffers with addiction, but work is the last thing yeah, standing? I think so. A lot of times. That was the case with me, and that's what I've seen mostly because the, the close relationships, we just don't have the ability when we're... When you're an addict and it's taken over, it's mm-hmm. taken over our psyche. Mm-hmm. That's our best friend. That's the only thing I can, you can count on to be there to celebrate when you're happy, when you're feeling bad, 
if it's Tuesday, whatever, mm-hmm. it's your that's the only it's only like relationship. Yeah. You mean the alcohol or the, the alcohol, work? the addiction. Yeah. yeah. And work workaholism can yeah. be in that part too. Yeah. But but work it's eventually it takes its toll on work too. Oh yeah. But that's a really good point. And I, I loved your phrase blots out relationship. That's so good. Like and and how what would be another way to say what you mean there? Like just dulls them or slowly wears on them or well it's hard if you think about an someone who's addicted um um it it affects the we call it the reward center of mm-hmm. the brain the nucleus accumbens mm-hmm. and it's um that's where all the pleasure chem the yeah. pleasure chemicals are like dopamine mm-hmm. serotonin norepinephrine some good chem- there's some there's some good enzymes and hormones there's good things going on in there but if it gets out of whack and say our dopamine our dopamine stream uh, either we were born with an irregular dopamine uptake uh, our ability to uh, to uh, uptake that ourselves mm-hmm. or we have a deficit mm-hmm. and that's when we hear that people are born with with the addiction addictive mm-hmm. gene or whatever I think that's probably yeah. what's going on there is I was always I could never do anything halfway yeah everything was extreme everything even today I mean it's still part of my personality yeah and uh, I've learned how to, how to manage that mm-hmm. and I've learned how to accept it in myself right too. but when you're in that place and and you're it's not alcohol that we're in having the relationship with it's that dopamine uptake mm-hmm. it's what it's doing mm-hmm. it's what it's doing to our that feeling of that high mm-hmm. you can get the same thing with going out for a run getting used to running or exercise can take a, be its own uh, you know its own addictive state in a positive way mm-hmm. but so the relationships that you're asking me it it is the first to go because it's so all inclusive it's all it, it towards the end it's all we have going for us and um alcohol you know if somebody's an addict or an alcoholic we don't set out to be an al- al- an mm-hmm. alcoholic or an addic- addict it just happens and it, there's some good moments along the way so you became sober around age 38 or yeah, 38 okay mm-hmm. and and when did your drinking become really problematic and you know how did it get there well i'd always enjoyed drinking but um I remember like when I was of the first earliest memories of consuming uh, you know drinking alcohol or beer or, or whatever it was like wow you know I remember one time I was at a I was in middle school or they call it junior high back then or we were at a dancing dance class mm-hmm. up on the mountain and mm-hmm. some of my buddies and I were <clears throat> were sitting around watching everybody and some of the kids were just totally at ease with himself out there dancing go asking girls to dance but not me or the guys I hung out with we were we were watching you know all this and and I'm drinking a coke uh-huh and uh we used to love the peanuts in our coke back then oh yeah my grandfather car. did that that's funny <laughs> and one of my friends had a little bottle of like a half pint of some kind of bourbon uh-huh 
he said, here, you want you, you to pour a little of this in there and you won't believe it. And so, of course I did. I'd do anything. And um, so I poured some of this bourbon in there and I'm drinking this Coke. And at first it kind of was a little weird. I didn't just love the taste at first, but I drank that whole thing. Uh-huh. And the next thing, what happened a few minutes later, what, you know, no one could believe it. it's like there's my all my friends all the people that knew me is they didn't know me as somebody go out on the dance floor and dance by themselves but I'm out there doing the twist <laughs> by myself and and this this dance lady that was our dance instructor ended up calling my mother and she said uh, Miss Timberlake you got something going on here with Joe. We're not sure something just happened with him. You might want to come pick him up. Some kind of switch just flipped and it he's just, a different person. It was a light switch. Wow. And I felt like comfortable in myself. I could dance. You know, people weren't so scary. Yeah. And that's so understandable. And that's why I think compassion is so important. Yeah. Self-compassion, compassion with others. I mean... If they're suffering in their brain with social anxiety mm -hmm. or um, just anxiety in general, just worrying, can't turn your mind off, can't calm down after work, can't get out of a funk. I mean, that's a different level of I needed enjoyment. it for a certain part of my life. There weren't, it wasn't all bad. It didn't start off being horrible. Yeah. And there's this, and so it was good. And I, 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 um. I didn't always drink alcoholically and it wasn't until my 30s and I'm really doing well and I was married mm -hmm. and I was successful in mm -hmm. my vocation I was uh -huh. really good at what I did yeah and I kept drinking and I kept drinking more when I would celebrate when I was if I was mad at something I would use it more as a crutch and there's a term uh, called hyperalgesia oh and that means that you have a natural ability to adapt to any chemicals, these brain chemicals. Oh, interesting. So we build up a tolerance eventually with opioids. We build up a tolerance. You can talk to anybody that's ever been on pain meds. They build up a tolerance after a while. They need more. They get all the terrible side effects with less of the benefits. So they hit this place where they build up a tolerance. They need more and more and get less effect. And that's where the bad things start happening with opioid addiction. So your body and your brain just Adapts. adjusts very easily yeah. to any chemical it right. takes. And then you need more and more, more faster and more. than other people. More. And so eventually you can't get enough. Uh-huh. And you can't go forward because your life won't support what yeah. what this addiction is demanding of you. And you can't go back in the idea. I remember towards the end <coughs> My wife, people around me, you know, they would, they would just, you know, they would try to warn me about the, what might happen if I kept drinking mm. like this. And I didn't. They and you can't scare an alcoholic towards the end. Somebody's yeah. in a, an addict. You're in denial. What I was scared of is living my life without that best friend. Mm. That I was in more fear of somebody trying to take that away, and I would fight for that. So if you ever really want to, if you're a family member and you have a loved one that's an addict, that's that is in that place where you're worried for them. It feels like your best friend, but it's your worst enemy. It is. It is. But we don't know that. We think yeah. it's our best friend. And anybody that tries to take that away, a loved one, the becomes enemy. the enemy. Yeah. Yeah. Enemy of that's my... A shame. Yeah. Enemy is my... <laughs> enemy is my friend is my enemy. 
Yeah, it's it really is such a terrible position to be in when you know you need something to lower your anxiety or, or your yeah. depression or to you don't have any tools be yourself you don't have the tools you don't that's have, right your toolbox is comes in in this drug or alcohol in, in whatever your drug of choice is that's right and you know the other thing with tools and I definitely want to hear some of your tools but one of the things that I think would be one of the biggest preventatives for addiction would also be addressing the low self-esteem or the lies we believe about ourselves. Like mm-hmm. for instance, someone that, you know, doesn't see how much they offer, have to offer the world and how great they are. Mm-hmm. And in some, you know, preconceived notion or schema they have makes them Self-compassion. doubt themselves. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And they think, oh, I have to be the, the life of the party. So I can't be the life of the party without alcohol. And it's like, just be yourself. Maybe you're a one-on-one person. Well, you can. There's so much available out here now that wasn't available, say, when my... See, when I was a, when I was a kid, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a baby boomer. I'm part of the baby boomer generation. Yeah. And, you know, as post-World War II, you know, every, the, we were... The, everybody was celebrating. Everybody had a drink in one hand and a cigarette in the other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was the culture. That was cool. Back then, grow up with that. There's nothing wrong with that. Are you kidding me? And then having to unlearn what's cool and what's going to make you whole is something entirely entirely different. But there was no no Brene Brown (laughs) back then. Right. They might have been available in in um, in some forms of religion, or you had to really know what you were looking for. Yeah. And it just wasn't known. And now recovery. And wellness, mm-hmm. vulnerability, and dealing with shame. You know, there you don't have to look too far to get help for that. Mm-hmm. But it's we, there's a saying in the twelve step world: it's recovery is not for people that need it; it's for people that want it. Mm-hmm. And there's there's so many people that we see it. You can see it anywhere you look. People that that person needs recovery, mm-hmm. but until they get to the point where they want it. They yeah. um, they don't they don't care if they need it. Wow! In fact, they just don't even like hearing that. Yeah. And so, but it takes hitting bottom, and then and to be willing to to go to any lengths just to re- receive any help. And any any addict that's in recovery or alcoholic, yeah, remembers that early time. You know, when they first got in recovery, when they were totally surrendered. Mm-hmm. And most of them will tell you that that's where they felt the best. In terms of their, wow, it just feels so good to let all that go. Mm-hmm. I could have done it any time, and I didn't know it. Right. But when I let it go, and I'm open to help. Yeah, that's a... For sure. Well, so one quick clinical example, I guess, and then I'd love to hear some of your favorite coping mechanisms or what mm-hmm. advice you might have for people that are early on in, you know, finding such relief from alcohol and being worried that they're going to develop an unhealthy, um, you know, relationship with it. But I have had quite a few men referred to me that were straight out of an addiction treatment center the last couple of years and Mm -hmm. loved working with them. And there's been a real theme of work stress, you know, can't turn their mind off, high pressure, like major, major work stress. And 
ending up, you know, drinking heavily, ruining relationships or getting, you know, in trouble at work and then going to, you know, the treatment and then coming out and realizing how much anxiety, how much pressure and how they didn't know how to set boundaries and how to take better care of themselves and um, speak up and be assertive. And, you know, it's been really nice. And they're just very conscientious, hardworking, caring people mm-hmm. that just, you know, we're going in overdrive. They're great people. Yeah, overdrive like you've probably gone in. in but life. in the corporate world, nothing against the corporate world, but when somebody's governed by a balance sheet or a profit mm-hmm. and loss statement, they're going to be coming at you or your clients mm-hmm. in, from a position of fear. Yeah. That's their only, we're not going to be here next year. If we can't perform better, it's high pressure. That's the high only pressure. way they know how to motivate it. And it's negative motivation. And what does that do? It sends these potential addicts, you know, home, carrying it home and learn, trying to self medicate, mm-hmm. driving their poor spouses crazy because there's very little of them available mm-hmm. when they're in that, that pressure cooker that you're describing. Yeah. Pressure cooker is a great way to say it and overdrive um you should have a support group uh-huh for corporate addicts and alcoholics yeah yeah i mean because that could be something you could sit around a room and talk about yeah and relate to each other and 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 also the perils of self-medicating as, re- sure. as a release yeah and so many of these people when they discover healthy ways to cope they yeah. don't want the the old ways anymore and right it's sort of the price tag. I, I like to think about the long game and mm-hmm. the short-term relief of, oh, you know, I, I had so much fun last night, I <coughs> shut my mind off, but then I didn't sleep well, and then I felt terrible the next day, or I felt shameful. Excuse me. Oh, it's okay. Um, but just the price tag that comes with unhealthy coping versus the long game of healthy coping that leads to, you know, lasting comfort instead of just four hours of just dulling my senses and but the problem with that is if you're an addict is did you ever see the movie Postcards from the Edge with Meryl Streep and Shirley MacLaine I don't think so oh it's amazing it was it was a high it was about everything we're talking about the corporate world you put into Hollywood Uh in the Hollywood setting and and it was about a, a woman an actress and her mom who was a famous actress and and the the daughter was just a natural addict uh-huh. And, and she was getting her stomach pumped, you know, from taking too many barbiturates and uh-huh. trying to self-medicate. She's lying there in the in the emergency room, and 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 this this uh, emergency room doctor saying, "You like that self gratification?" And she said, oh, "Immediate gratification." Uh-huh. She said, "No, immediate gratification takes way too long." <laughs> <laughs> It's not quick enough. And he said, we're going to have to pump your stomach. She says, oh, do I have to be here? <laughs> it was a great movie. I recommend it. It's Meryl Streep and yes. Shirley MacLaine. I wrote and, it down. And it's, um, but it talks about some of the things we're talking about here. But immediate gratification is the problem. Mm-hmm. If you're an addict, you don't. And, you know, okay, somebody brings up the prospect of starting a mindful, a mindfulness practice. Oh, that sounds great. Well, what can I do right now? What yeah. can I do right this second mm-hmm. to turn the madness off? Right. Because all of these people, all of us, have this problem. It's not just 
a physical addiction. It's a the it says in the book Alcoholics Anonymous, the book, it says the disease of alcoholism centers on the mind. Mm. That means we have an addictive mind. It's always thinking, it's always obsessing. Mm. I mean, think of if there's something that you're angry about, and if you're an addict, we start we start romancing that addictive thought. Mm-hmm. It might have been a little slight. Somebody might have looked at you funny. Some somebody might have said something that worked. Mm-hmm. And then all, and we take it, ruminate, grind it down, and next thing you know, it's a full fledged rage. Mm-hmm. And what are you going to do? You're going to medicate ourselves on that. So any way that we can stop that mental noise. Mm. The best best textbook I have found mm-hmm. for that is uh, a power the power of now by oh, Eckhart yeah. Tolle. Oh yeah, you've mentioned and that. And he talks about stillness, presence, being able to find the peace in the middle of all that storm. He calls it being. He relates to it as being conscious. Mm. When I'm conscious of what my mind is doing, that means I can slow it down. But if I'm unconscious, you know, have you ever driven somewhere and you've been all wound up about something and not even remembered how you got there. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> That's it. And so when we don't even realize what our mind, when it, our mind is, our egoic mind mm-hmm. is running us. Yeah. There's a great saying and phrase, our ego is a terrible master, but a great servant. So we can use it. But when we are in control of our mind, in our conscious what we're thinking, that's half the battle with these addicts. So if we can rule our ego, it will serve us well. Yeah. But if it's running yeah. the show like yeah. a master, then it's, it's Yeah, we're definitely... just getting dragged along behind. Wow. That's great. Um, yeah, so if you're just not tuning in or you're unconscious. Not aware. Not aware. And so in that book, in, in The Power of Noun, yes, has done a lot of work. Oprah discovered him way back when, but it, it is... It's been around forever. It's part of, in the Bible, there's a verse that says, be still and know that I am God. Mm, I love that verse. And so it just means that we're. if I'm going to have any kind of a spiritual connection, any kind, with another person or with a higher power, it has to come on present. Mm-hmm. If I'm in one of those places where I'm grinding away and I'm, my mind's moving yeah. and we all know what those feel like, it's not going to happen. So any kind of quality of life, I've got to find a way uh-huh. to quiet that. Well, and I might be wrong, but it feels to me like being still has always been hard from all time, but I feel like now it's worse than ever. In this culture? In this culture, oh. with phones, technology. Yeah. I mean, I have to admit, I'll get bored at a red light. And I'm like, this is so sad. I'm like, if my phone dies, and I'm like, I don't have anything to do for the next 20 seconds. It's really, really sad. It is sad, and it's, but it's only sad until you recognize there's an opportunity, like uh-huh. an opportunity, you know, a threat. Yes, yes. This is a, a another blessing in disguise. Like, yeah. So I have an opportunity here to be still and be in this moment. See my hands on the wheel, and I look at the color of the sky. Yeah. I'm no longer thinking, because what was my mind thinking? It's thinking I had to be somewhere. Mm-hmm. So instead of being there or where I'd ruminating on something that happened earlier in the day, I'm thinking about right this moment, which will never come around again, this moment. Mm-hmm. This moment right here. Oh, that's great. And so that's what he teaches. And, if one, and it takes practice. And so what do we do? We beat ourselves up when we realize that, oh, my mind's thinking, no, we don't, shouldn't do that, because that's the same mindset that brought us here. 
Uh-huh. So we have to accept that and easily, gently bring ourselves back to the present mm. and feel that presence, just like when we're holding um, Ukatasana. <laughs> <laughs> and we're in that long moment. Stay in the moment instead of when is this? Yes. Guy, when is he going to stop this? Yeah. I know. I think that so often what we think we want is not really what we want or definitely not what we need. Mm-hmm. And But it's just such a challenge. I mean, it's like I feel like a lot of life really is kind of like this riddle or, um, yeah. you know, just trying to transcend our some of our natural urges. I don't want to act like our natural urges aren't good, but it's so easy to be sucked into the quick, easy um, distractibility instead of being intentional. And for me with ADD, it's like... A, that yeah. one of the veins of my existence is trying to be intentional and not be like, Oh, there's a squirrel. And mm-hmm. Oh, like, you know, the ads <laughs> on your phone or, you know, the things you're sent to like lure you in, right. you know, transcending right. those distractions and focusing on what matters. Like you're saying the power of now. Mm-hmm. So that's one tool mm-hmm. and exercise mm-hmm. exercises. There's a, I'm going to give a plug for a book called yeah. spark uh-huh. by Dr. John Rady. Mm. And he talks about how exercise can affect depression, combating stress. And he has a, a lot that he writes about addiction and about how, how having it. Because if, if, if somehow you think about it, somebody that's battling an addiction can build the time, that can, can raise the tolerance of their exercise program and decide to be intentional about training and about the benefits and the rewards of training. It goes right to the reward center mm-hmm. of the brain where that addiction's trying to to, to have dominance. A natural dominance. high instead of an unnatural high. Yes, and so, and, and he talks about some studies of, of uh, different groups that have, that have uh, focused on, on exercise with uh, end-stage recovery or uh, mm-hmm. addicts mm-hmm. and about how, how impressive the, the, the results are. Mm. In some ways, an addict makes a perfect addicted a- athlete mm-hmm. <laughs> marathon or something mm-hmm. to, to use that mindset and put it to work cycling or swimming, long-distance swimming, or, yeah. or taking an hour out of the day and just doing something that has a cardiovascular benefit. It can break that cycle that addiction has on us, and so I, I've been, I've had a long, uninterrupted stream of recovery. Yeah, thirty-five and, years of sobriety, mm-hmm, right? October fourth, and if it had not been, I'd like to say I've been, I've had a, a perfect recovery program, but it, there have been times my recovery program has been on life support, mm. but it's my exercise program, and the mentors I had around me too. So the exercise is important, but I had great people in recovery that were patient enough to help me work through whatever demons I was. So mentors, sponsors, friends, sponsors, yeah, sponsors. yeah. And, and fellow travelers in recovery. Yeah. People I could talk to. And so I'm, I've been very fortunate to have it, to have found people in recovery to sponsor me that, and I've been, I've been, sober a long time I mm. still see a sponsor every week or every other week mm. it doesn't mean that yeah. I'm off the chain it means yeah. 
life is busy. The life that there is a lot of life. You're talking about this culture and all the shiny things around us all yeah. the time. Things that can distract us from being yeah, but you know having the life we want exactly. You know one analogy or I don't know uh, metaphor that I would love for you to speak to, um, and I know we're probably running out of time here soon, but. I've become super interested in like blood sugar and nutrition. Mm -hmm. And I think of addiction kind of similarly to some of that and how understandable it is when people crave sugar um, or carbohydrates, like a quick high that you feel an instant boost followed by a crash. And so you eat a bunch of Starburst or you eat a bunch of cookies or, you know, you feel really great for a short time and then you kind of feel bad. Whereas if you did like, say, um, you know, some kind of juice, like a, you know, a whatever version of juice at Southern Squeeze mm-hmm. or wherever you go for. Love Southern Squeeze. Me too. Um, or you just have more like a really balanced meal that just gives you like a slow lasting feeling of feeling satiated and good for hours. Right. You don't get that quick high followed by a crash. And, um, and even again, like an energy, a ginger turmeric drink or whatever, a beet juice. And, you know, so I feel like if more people could understand, yes, it is so easy to just take a few shots or drink a few beers and you feel really good and have a fun night for three, four hours. And then the price tag is terrible. It's a neurotoxin, you know? Um, but I don't know uh, if you have any thoughts I do. Uh, It might help to look at um, kind of a broader, from a broader spectrum, the habit loop. Are you Mm. familiar with that? No. Well, I mean, we're always forming habits, Mm -hmm. trying to break habits, start good habits, right? Yeah. So the habit loop, another book called Atomic Habits. Yes, I'm reading that. I'm in chapter three, which is really good for me. All right, so good. Uh, What's the author's name? Remember? Oh, we'll, we'll get back to him in a second. No. Yeah, clear. Is that it? Yeah. So the habit loop uh-huh. is cue, craving, response, and reward. Cue, craving, response, reward. Uh-huh. So a cue. All right. So a cue is I see I see a Krispy Kreme donut place. Mm-hmm. It's got the neon sign. It's yeah. hot freshly whatever what's the thing is just right out of the oven that's the cue you see it yeah and the craving is i can taste that donut that's the craving my mouth waters i go through a Mm -hmm. chemical change that's the Mm. craving response is i make a decision whether to go in there and buy 12 of these things Mm -hmm. and eat and eat these donuts and reward myself Mm mm-hmm or I decide not to, that that probably isn't what I need right now. Now, the reward is, depending on where your mind is, reward can be, if I decided to indulge myself, the reward is how good that tasted for about a second yeah. before the crash happens. Yeah. So there's a brief reward, right? Yeah. Or if I decided to to restrain myself mm-hmm. and and keep driving past the donut place, mm-hmm. the reward is something different. It's something like, hey, I just, I just, I just went against what my primal yeah. needs were telling me that I need. Yeah. 
and I feel better for that. So that that's a long, longer lasting reward. That's so good. And the same thing happens, you know, when an addict or an alcoholic is having to battle through a new situation, mm-hmm. like somebody new in recovery having to battle, having a stressful, having an argument at home. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I think we all just have to figure out tricks to, yeah. you know, help ourselves. I was just telling a friend and, and my son, I've been telling him a lot. He's a senior in high school. And like one of the hardest challenges in life is to figure out how to make yourself do the things you don't want to do. Yeah. And also how to make yourself not do things that you know aren't good for you. And, you know, just kind of override those immediate gratification urges. And, mm-hmm. you know, um, I, I went to a friend's for dinner last week and I ate so much. It reminds me of that Thanksgiving. I used to binge eat a lot when I was a teenager. And even in my 20s, I don't binge eat that much anymore. I binge ate last week. I felt so miserable. I went home. I was doing all the yoga twists I could do. Uh I walked a little bit because I just, I could barely go to sleep. I was so miserable. And I was like, why did I do that? Like, you know. Well, your body's just not not geared for it anymore, but you're healthier. And the thing about food is so hard. It is. I mean, food is, it's all around us. Yeah. And it's not going anywhere. And we have... We have these little we have victories that we feel good about when we're able to get ourselves into a healthy, yeah. intentional eating way that really serves us well. And then we have these little relapses. We feel, I mean, it, it's like emotional, spirit, and our physically, you know, it really repulses us. And we feel yeah. shame yeah. as a result of that. And so in recovery with, uh, with the people we work with that are trying to recover their nutritional selves uh-huh. with uh, you know with chronic pain yeah it's real important they develop they have to devote develop a whole new relationship with food yeah. when it's not so 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 it's like it's not like so pervasive with all the the failures mm-hmm. and the shame mm-hmm. but it's like we give ourselves a break even with um, um uh, weight watchers mm-hmm. you know they allow themselves they build in the failures. Uh-huh. Yeah. So they don't feel so bad about it. Yeah, for sure. But, uh, you know, and people in OA and, and bulimics, people like that battle with Like anonymous for yes. people who don't know. Yeah. Yes. I mean, they have such a hard job around them. Yeah. And, and the ones that I've known, I've sponsored men in AA that are also in OA. And they mm-hmm. were so much... Uh, shame. They had they were so much battling control issues mm-hmm. because this food thing was all about feeling powerless. Mm-hmm. There's nothing that'll make you feel more powerless than food. Well, yeah, and you can't avoid food. You can avoid the relationship alcohol with the rest food. of your life, right? But yeah, having a different relationship. Yeah. Well, is there anything else that? you kind of want to tell the listeners about, you know, your own sobriety or coping mechanisms or your history of growing up with an alcoholic, or do you feel like you've kind of covered most of it? Hmm. You know, I ran, I I played football and wrestled in high school Mm -hmm. and my position coach in football was the track coach. Hmm. And he, he knew that he had to get me, on the track team in the spring because he knew I would be off doing God knows what 
and getting myself out of shape and mm-hmm. you know he, he could tell I had that that thing you know uh-huh. where I need he needed to get my keep me productive uh-huh. and so I started running track and I hated running track I did not life's hot <laughs> and I, I just, I'd rather be out with my friends partying doing something going to the lake or whatever during the spring winding down parts of the school year uh-huh. but what I just what I learned is you know when we're running doing these mile repeats or quarter miles or whatever that when I was in a when um, a pack uh-huh. of runners uh-huh. that were better than me uh-huh. I ran faster mm-hmm. and I ran better and I felt better about myself and the quality of the relationships with these people were different than my friends that were up on the lake they were different they weren't my, the enabling relationships these were the high quality relationships that were training that were on to something bigger and better they rubbed off on you in a different way or influenced you yes so I'd say look for a Try to find a fast, your fast pack. Ooh, yeah. People, I have several men's groups that I'm a part of that are, we meet all the time and talk about ourselves, get our stuff, things that are bothering us out. And we've practiced tough love with each other. And we, we're able to, we ask permission, mm-hmm. you know, and say, hey, do you mind if I give you a little feedback on on that one? Wow. <laughs> yeah, find people who bring the best out of yes. you or want the best. And, and, and will help you evoke that stretch yeah reaching reaching forward for the positive for the positive habits yeah the positive rewards and that's in in creating new mindsets and new thing new ways of medicating myself that get me better make me better yeah well you know maybe a good thing to end on would be one of my best pieces of advice for someone that has a drinking problem or any kind of substance problem is to be compassionate with yourself, but also be really honest with yourself. And if somebody that you care about is expressing concern about your use of a substance, then there's probably at least some level of an issue. And the more people that are expressing concern, probably the more serious it is. Yeah, it's a tough one too, because their first inclination is they're trying to trying to say something bad about your best friend mm. and so they've got to let you find a way to let go of that but if you're have any inclination that you may have a problem find somebody that has what you want somebody that sounds like you could trust that's in recovery yeah and you know that brings up a really good point to me of it it probably what you said your best friend it feels like that is your self-care and like those men i was mentioning a lot of them are self-neglecting they're sort of self-abusing they're running themselves ragged and they're not giving themselves permission to take a day off or go do yoga or go golfing or exercise and so that is like a quick you know quick day out at home is getting drunk or you know and and I could see why they would say this is the one way I can relax, but mm-hmm. yet it's a toxic substance, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah. that kind of, if they could just increase their self care, then they wouldn't, you know, have to rely on something that's actually hurting their body and their relationships. Well, that's the thing. Cause it's, there's so much shame in, in addictions. And, we, and, yeah. and one of the misnomers is somebody that's battling getting sober. Mm-hmm. Um, in some ways, we feel like we don't even really deserve to have a good life. Mm. 
because all so the things because all the Shit. things that are meaningful in life have been blotted out yeah by this addiction and we only have one thing that matters in this immediate gratification of the drug or the alcohol and we don't want to believe it we're in denial that it's not working it's right. working less and less and less yeah no it's um and that's a real hard place because there's no place where we feel more alone is when we're just you and your addiction. Mm-hmm. Lonely. Well, thank you so much for sharing. I just love hearing your story about your childhood stuff no, and um, you. your own recovery and just how much healthier you are now. This is really inspiring to hear. I like my life now. And it's not how I would have pictured it necessarily. But boy, there's a power bigger than me that had other plans. That's right. I had to be a part of it, though. I had to. You know, that's one thing God's not going to do. He's, he may put amazing people in our life. Mm-hmm. He may, he may make it very difficult for you to keep doing the negative things we're doing. Mm-hmm. But He will not surrender for us. Mm. We've got to surrender. That's the one thing we've got to do as human beings and sometimes re-surrender and do it again and again until it sticks mm, letting cool. go doesn't always stick the first time no no and the whole nature of addictions are relapse yeah for and, sure and and it's the first thing you see when somebody comes back into the rooms of recovery after a relapse is shame you will never see judgment in a 12-step meeting good it's just not part of the because everybody knows Everybody that's in there knows that the only thing that works is is the uh, us sticking together. Yeah, concern and compassion yeah. should be the the tone, not mm-hmm. ever judgment. Never judgment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Great. Thank you. Loved it. <laughs>